The scripture lesson is 1 John 2, 28 through 3, 10. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this is it, it, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kristen. Pray with me. Gracious God, at some times more than others, we are well aware of our need for your grace. And when it comes to talking about the sin in our lives, uh, we know that this is one of them. So we pray that you would meet us here with your presence, that you would give us courage to take our looks at the reality of our lives, uh, and that you would also give us uh, the courage to look up and to see you, and to see the work that you have done on our behalf, so that our guilt may be removed, and so that the power of sin over our lives may be broken. We ask that you would meet us here, that this would be just another rhythm in our life of battling against the sin that remains until you meet us uh, yet again, and we see you face to face. We long for that day, and we pray for it to come, even as we reflect on your words now. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So this is week three for me as your pastor at Grace and Peace, and the elders came to me a few months ago and said, what would you like to preach on in your first month? And I said, sin. I didn't say that. That wasn't my choice of sermons for the first three weeks, but that's okay. That's why we find a book of the Bible and we preach our way through it because sometimes there are things that we love to talk about and reflect on in our lives and sometimes there are things that we don't love to talk about and reflect on in our lives, but that we desperately need to. And so God gives us his word and he challenges us to make our way through it and to trust that he will meet us right here, right where we need to be met. Uh, 
My family and I moved from California, and so for a while, while we're making this adjustment, some of my illustrations are going to be California-oriented. I'm getting to Texas. What's the phrase, you're not from Texas, but you got here as soon as you could? We got here, but we're still adjusting, so pardon the California references, but I think this is a helpful one. Uh, The Warriors basketball team is so fun to watch, particularly Stephen Curry. He's an unbelievable ball player. His shot is tremendous. And the joy that he plays with on the basketball court is unrivaled anywhere. And so it's been so fun to get to be fans of Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. And one of the things I love about him is that he makes it look so easy, doesn't he? If you've ever played basketball, you know that a three-point shot is hard to hit. It's hard to hit once, much less four times out of ten. It's hard to hit when you're shooting it from half court, and he does it all the time, and he makes it look easy, and he just looks like he's having a tremendous time. And Steph Curry has been an ambassador for the game of professional basketball because of the way he plays it, his skill, and his joy. But if you've ever read an article about Steph Curry, or if you've seen uh, the documentaries that they're putting out about him now, you'll know that his life as a basketball player isn't all joy and fun. There's an incredible amount of work that goes on behind the scenes for him to be the kind of player that he wants to be. There's a grind to his daily, weekly rhythm. There's a battle, if you will, against the forces that are arrayed against him to be the successful player that he wants to be, right? The breakdown of his body, the age that is relentlessly coming to him. Right, the bad habits that slide into his game. He has to battle and push against those for him to be able to be the kind of player that we love to watch and experience. It's not a bad picture of a rhythm of the Christian life, of a life following Jesus. Uh, we've been in the book of First John, which is actually a letter from John, the disciple of Jesus, to a church we believe in what is now modern-day Turkey, uh, then Ephesus. And John is coming to the end of his pastoral career, and he wants to relay to this congregation the essentials of the Christian life. What are the rhythms and practices of one who is following Jesus for a lifetime? Whether in the good times or the bad times, the hard times or the easy times, whether you're beginning or ending or somewhere in the middle, what are the characteristic rhythms and practices of a life devoted to Jesus? And we've looked at some of the really fun ones, the ones that you see when you look at Steph Curry playing basketball, if you will, believing in Jesus, an obedience that brings a confidence and an assurance to the Christian life, a relationship with God that can be practiced and lived into day by day, week by week, and yet behind the scenes concurrently along with those rhythms, there is a rhythm of grinding. There is a battle to be fought. And John puts us right into the center here when he talks about sin. Uh, You see, John recognizes that there is a reality of sin in the life of every human being, including those who are following Jesus. Uh, But he also recognizes, somewhat paradoxically, that while at the same time sin is an aspect of our reality. It's not the defining reality for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus. That on the cross, Jesus did indeed defeat, as John mentions, the works of the devil, the power of sin over our life. 
Jesus on the cross has dealt with sin, the guilt of sin in our life, and yet its presence remains until Jesus comes again. And that's true, and we need to acknowledge that and do business with that, and that's where we want to start this morning, the reality of sin in our lives. But again, somewhat paradoxically, John recognizes that Though sin, the presence of sin is a reality, it is not the defining reality for one who has committed themselves to Jesus through faith and baptism. In fact, one who has been united to Jesus can't have sin as their defining identity and characteristic. John says we're children of God now. So yes, sin is a reality, but it's not our defining reality, and it's not even our desired reality. And so we want to look and be encouraged with that as well. So first, sin's reality. Second, sin's defeat. We can grind against sin because the battle has been won for us in Jesus. And then thirdly, because of that freedom, we're enabled to move into our lives and to grind. And so we want to look together, what does that mean? look like as individuals and as a congregation to fight against the lingering remaining presence of sin in our lives. The reality, the victory, and then the battle. So first, uh, the reality of sin. Are we willing to recognize, eyes wide open, that sin is characteristic of our lives, whether we are followers of Jesus or not? Uh, Sin isn't a popular word in our culture. It's not a popular topic. Uh, And that's understandable to a degree. But if we're going to deal with sin, we need to be honest about its reality. And so we start where John starts. I remember in chapter 1. It's not printed for you, but I want to read it for you. John says this. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, What is sin? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. What is this sin that is present in our life? Well, sin, the word for sin literally means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. To fall short of the goal. Well, what's the mark that we're missing? What's the goal that we are short of. Your mind might hearken to the Apostle Paul's words, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, of the image-bearingness that we have as human beings, as men and as women, made in the image of a good and holy and a perfect God. But John puts it this way in verse 4 of chapter 3. I'll read it for us again. He says, Everyone who makes A practice of sinning also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. John says that sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking the law, but not just any law, right? John's referring to God's law, to God's command. Sin is a breaking of God's commands. But remember, we talked last week about the nature of God's commands. They are not arbitrary rules that are given by a capricious God meant to suck the joy and fun out of life. No, God's commands are his blueprints for the good life, for living well as his image bearers in the world that he made. And this this only makes sense. If there is a God who created us 
and he created us to flourish, it makes sense that he knows how that we, that's not good grammar, he knows how we ought to live so that we can flourish. That's better. God knows what we need to flourish, and so he gives us good guidelines, his commands, which reflect his character and the way that life ought to work in his good world that he's blessed us to live in. So Jesus comes on the scene to reveal God to us. And when the teachers of the law ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? You know this. Jesus says the greatest commandment, the way to live with the grain of God's good purposes in this world is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is the same. The flip side of the coin, love your neighbor as yourself. To sin is to break God's commandment, is to go against the grain of the way that we are created to live for our flourishing, for God's glory, and for the flourishing of others in his world. And you can begin to see now as we take a look at what sin is, why John is so eager for us, following Jesus, who is so eager for us to recognize sin for what it is so that we can turn away from it and turn toward flourishing. Sin is lawlessness. It's breaking the good command of God, the command which enables us to be truly and fully human, which enables you to be truly and fully you. Sin is against God and against one another. It's comprehensive and it's deep. Jesus says the command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not just on the surface, but down deep from the heart at the core motivations of who you are. And so when his disciples would come or the crowds would come and ask questions about what life ought to look like, Jesus would characteristically take them back to the heart of the matter. What comes out of the heart is what makes somebody sinful or not, not just what's on the surface. And so we can begin to see this reality that we are unable to escape completely and fully the presence of sin because it is so comprehensive. And we can begin to see how distasteful sin is as well, not just for others, but in our own lives. Sin is lawlessness, which is, yes, breaking God's laws, but there's something deeper in lawlessness. Lawlessness is throwing out the law book altogether, right? And I think what John's getting at is what we see in the rest of the scriptures, that sin isn't just the breaking of the commands, though that is true, in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone, as one of the great prayers of confession has us to pray. No, it's not just the breaking of the deeds, it's the breaking of the relationship. It's the turning away from the lawgiver himself. It's saying, God, it's not just that I don't want your laws, I don't want you. I would prefer to define my own happiness and flourishing on my own and then pursue it on my own. Thank you very much. Sin isn't just breaking the rules, it's breaking the relationship. And so Francis Spufford, who is an English author, 
uh, in a book that he wrote as an apologetic for Christianity, as one who had come to Christianity uh, in a very, very secular environment. He recognizes that sin is not just something that happens to us. Sin is something that happens deep within us, and it's a reality that we must do business with. There's a quote for you on page two. Uh, I'd like to read just a little bit from it. Because Spufford recognizes uh, that sin is a reality whether we call it sin or not, and he chose to give it a different name. He calls it the human propensity to mess things up. He calls this bad news, and because it's bad news, it's not very welcome. And he goes on to say this, especially if you let yourself take seriously the implication that we actually want the destructive things that we do, that they're not just an accident that keeps happening to us, but they're part of our nature. He goes on, and I'm going to move down to the end, to say that we would on the whole very much like this not to be true, and our culture conspires to help us avoid and defer and ignore the sting of it as much as possible, but... The human propensity to mess things up is in here, not out there. Friends, sin is a reality, not just for those out there, but for me right here. Um, Standing on this stage is probably not the best place to preach this sermon because I'm preaching this sermon as one of you. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a Russian writer and dissident during the communist heyday who had experienced so much of the horrors of the 20th century uh, and even the evil of it, says that the dividing line between good and evil does not run through class or politics or party. It runs through the center of every human heart. And so as we do business... With the nature of sin, we recognize that sin is true not just of them, but of me. And so the easiest thing to do, friends, is just ignore it. The easiest thing to do is just not to look. One of my favorite games with one of my children when they were very, very young, they're not going to remember this, uh, and they're here now, so I have to be careful with telling stories about them, but uh, very young, probably two was peekaboo. And uh, one of my children loved to play peekaboo. And at first, right, it starts with the adult doing this, the peekaboo. But then my child loved to do the peekaboo themselves because when they covered their eyes, they thought that I no longer existed for them because they couldn't see me. And so when they removed their hands from their eyes, it was like Christmas every single time. Amazing. There I was, right? Gone there gone there. And we treat sin in our lives that very same way, don't we, so often? If I just cover my eyes and pretend it's not there, then it won't be there. But we know that we're deceiving ourselves. We're very, very good at it. We do it in all sorts of ways. Tell me if any of these resonate with you. Uh, We avoid looking and dealing with our own sin by keeping it light and staying busy. Keeping it light and staying busy. If I just stay busy, if I just keep moving in life, I'm not going to have to take a look within. And when we slow down, 
And when we settle down and when we find some quiet and we find some peace, what happens? The reality of our interior life begins to be exposed to us. And it's hard to see. So we ramp up our life again and get busy again. We avoid, we minimize. Have you ever found yourself saying this? No worries, it's all good. No, no, no worries, it's all good, it's all good. And on the one hand, that's a noble sentiment, but it can actually paper over the reality of the hard things in our lives. The hard things that come against us from somebody else and the hard and wrong things that we do toward somebody else. Kathy and our household has been very helpful uh, in teaching our children and me how to say a proper apology and to receive a proper apology. When I've hurt you, I should say, I'm sorry about that. I recognize that that was hurtful. I did that and I shouldn't have. Would you forgive me? And what I would love for you to say in return is, yes, that was hurtful, but I forgive you. Thank you for your apology. That's very different than saying, it's all good. No worries. Because it's not all good. And there are worries. Uh, We grade ourselves on a curve. Do you find yourself avoiding sin in this way? When you're thinking about an interpersonal conflict with somebody else, it's very black and white for them. They should have done this for me or toward me, and they didn't. You can see that, right? You can see it. It's It's right here, right here. Look, look what they did. But when it comes to my part of that interpersonal conflict, well, I'm, I'm complicated. There were circumstances that were beyond my control, and I was having a bad day, and on and on and on. And we can grade ourselves on a curve very well and minimize the reality. Sometimes we just flat out deny it. Yeah, I did that, but that's not me. That's just my actions. That's not who I am. Friends, the problem with this posture toward the sin in our lives is that it's just playing peekaboo. And you can cover your eyes all you want, but that doesn't remove the reality of the sin that is within you. And the Bible says that the sin that is within us is a sin, it's a way of living that's moving away from God. And so inevitably toward our own demise. Friends, think about not playing peekaboo with your two-year-old, but think about an intruder in your home. And you cover your eyes and say, he's not there, he's not there, he's not there. Meanwhile, he's ransacking your home and taking all your things. That's a better picture of what sin is doing in our lives if we're not willing to look at its reality. Even more importantly, until we acknowledge the reality of sin in our life, we won't look to Jesus for its cure. Until we acknowledge the reality of sin in our own lives, we will not look to Jesus for its cure. When Jesus came to our world, into the mess that we have made as a human being, when he walked this earth, the first thing that he said was repent. Turn from your sin and turn to me. And then do you remember what he said to his disciples? I haven't come for the well, but I've come for the sick. John wants us to do real business with the reality of sin in our lives and to recognize It is present. But he also wants us to recognize that it's not the defining reality of our lives. Right? There's a tension in this passage. Did you catch it? On the one hand, in John 1, John says that if we say we have no sin, we're lying. That sin is a true and real presence in our life. But on the other hand, he says over and over in this passage, whoever goes on sinning isn't. 
united to Jesus. That if you're united to Jesus, you won't continue to sin. What's he talking about? He's talking about sin as a characteristic bent of our life that we embrace and enjoy. And he's saying one who has been born of Jesus cannot continue on a trajectory of sin because he's been born of Jesus. He's saying that there's a difference between committing a sin and living and embracing a life of sin. Maybe this will help you. Uh, some of you here have started learning how to play an instrument. Right? Has anybody started the piano, the trumpet, some instrument? When I started learning guitar, and I'm still self-taught and not very good, and I'm strumming the guitar, sometimes I think I'm strumming an A, but I'm strumming a D, and the song doesn't sound quite right, right? That's an equivalent of committing a sin, right? I'm trying to play a song of love to God and others, and I miss a note. It's a distortion of the song that I'm trying to play. Does that make sense? But sometimes... We just play a song of sin, right? We're playing the Star Wars Death March or whatever it is. And we're fully embracing that song, whether it's a bad note or not. That's what John's talking about when he's saying continuing to sin, going on to sin. And friends, here's my encouragement to you. If you're worried that that's you, it's not you. The fact that you're worried should tell you that you desire your life to sing a song of love for God and love for others. That if you've embraced the gospel of Jesus and given your life to him, the life that you want is the life that he has to offer, not a life of sin. You're recognizing that sin is an aberration, not your identity. John gets this. He says, dear children, wonder of wonders, we are children of God because of his love and so we are. That is your identity. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church of Corinth, a church that is filled with with missteps and mishaps, and yes, sin. He writes to the church in Corinth and he says, Paul the Apostle to those in Corinth called to be saints. He doesn't call them sinners. He calls them saints. Their identity has been transformed because of the work of Christ on their behalf. And so friends, if you're worried that there is the presence of sin in your life and that disqualifies you from a life with God. The fact that you're worried shows you that you're not disqualified. It's good news. Your desire is to be like Christ. That's what John says. He says that we are heading to a place, we are heading to a future destination in which we will be made new. It says, we'll see Jesus as he is. And when we see him as he is face to face, we will what? We will be like him. We will be like him. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is your identity when it comes to sin. You are one who is more and more and more becoming like Jesus. If we had time, we would cast our mind back to the gospel stories, to who Jesus is, to how he engaged those around us. And as you do that, and let me encourage you to read a gospel in your community groups, in your quiet time, on your own with God. Read the gospel of John. Watch how Jesus engages people. When you do, you will be enamored with who he is. And your heart will respond and you will say, yes, that is who 
I want to be. Friends, this is the reality of sin. It is present, but it is temporary, and it is not your identity if you are in Christ Jesus. And that is good news. And here's why. Point two, quickly, Jesus has defeated sin. Jesus has defeated sin. It is what he came to do. He came to destroy the work of the devil. And some of you may hear that word and immediately turn your brain off and think, oh, here we go again. Christians talking about the devil. And your mind conjures up a pitchfork and red, right, and a tail. Friends, if we believe in a supernatural God who exists beyond our ability to see or touch, could it not be possible that there is a supernatural being beyond what we can see or touch that is against God's good purposes for us as well? It's the picture that the Bible gives us. Not only is it what the Bible says is true, it's what resonates with your own experience. Do you ever feel like in life, yes, you are sinning, but it's like you can't not sin. It's like sin is out there and it's an empower, it's a power that is enslaving you and enticing you and you can't resist it. Have you ever had that kind of experience? Have you ever looked at the horrible, hard things in the world and you say there's a reality that's out there that I can't explain and it's wrong and it's broken and it's exerting its force on the people in this world, myself included. It's the way that the Bible talks about sin. It's in here and it's out there as well. And yes, there is a personal evil in this world that wants nothing more than for all of humanity to stop acting like humans and stop acting like Jesus and move away from that life with God as fast as they could possibly go. And John says Jesus came to defeat that work and he did it. It's done. Jesus told his disciples, I saw the Satan fall like lightning. He has fallen. He has been bound by Jesus in his work on the cross. Think of it, if you will, as a tornado of all the wrong and bad and hard things in this world. The sin that is out there and the sin that is in here, and it is spiraling around Jesus as he's on the cross, and it is doing its worst and doing its worst and doing its worst and doing its worst until he is dead. But he absorbed it all. Its power is completely gone, and then he rises again. And the power of sin is no more for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's defeated the power of sin. He's defeated the penalty of sin. He came and he dealt with it. This is exactly what John says in chapter one. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, Jesus is faithful. He's borne our sins on our behalf. He's just. He's paid the due punishment for our sins and he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, sin has been defeated by Jesus on our behalf. Is it present at times? Yes, until he comes again. But it has no power over you. There is no more guilt for you. And what that means is that we're freed to fight. We're freed to battle. We're freed to push against it as much as we can to grind so that we can be opened up to the life that God has for us, renewed in the image of Christ. It's part of the rhythm of the Christian life. 
We seek to be pure as he is pure because one day we will see him face to face and we will be like him. And until that day, well, my goodness, let's get started. What might that look like? One quick thing as we close. It looks like confession. It looks like confession. We did it this morning together. We prayed Psalm 51, a great psalm of confession by David. Friends, confessing is battling against sin because what happens when we confess? We come into God's presence and we take a good hard look at our own sin. We're honest with our own reality. And let me encourage you, take time to get quiet. Take time to slow down and to think about the way that you've lived your life over the past hours or minutes or even seconds and do business with that. Friends, be brave. You're safe. Your sin has been defeated. There is no more guilt for you in Jesus. When you take a look at your sin, what you'll find, if you look hard enough at it, if you reflect on the glory of who Jesus calls you to be, if you reflect on the glory of Jesus himself, what will happen is you will begin to hate your own sin. You'll see it for what it is, and you'll say, I don't want that to be a part of my life anymore. Look hate, and then own. Recognize this wasn't just something that happened to me. I did that hurtful thing. I said those hurtful words. That was me. Jesus, I hate it. Will you again forgive me? And friends, receive his grace yet again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes you need somebody else to say that. And maybe you can't wait till Sunday for a preacher to say that. Get with a friend and confess your sin in front of a friend so that they can say to you, you know what, I hear that. But listen to this. In Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Thanks be to God. Look, hate, own, receive, and then respond. And then respond. Go out from that confession into the life that Jesus has for you and then see what happens. John says it's going to look like righteousness and it's going to look like love. And that's the rhythm that we'll take up next week together. Let's pray now. Father, thank you for these bracing words. Uh, we ask for courage. We ask for wisdom. We ask for you to reveal yourself as the truest reality in our life the one to whom we're being conformed and the one who has defeated the work of sin in our lives so that we can more and more be renewed in your likeness. Uh, we pray for that to be increasingly our reality and that you would indeed, as Annie prayed, come quickly so that we might see you soon face to face, see you for who you are, and be who we will one day be. Until that day, we'll continue to pray in your name. Amen.